morning, church. It is my uh, deep joy and honor and privilege to be here. Uh, I received this gift, but I hesitated because on paper I'm not a guest. I'm part of you by our, you know, sharing the story. You are the congregation, the three Christians decided to enter the same song some 50 years ago already. So you lived already the future 50 years ago, and by connection, I'm part of you. Sorry that I don't show up as often as I could, but it is always joy. And on behalf of uh, Bishop Sudashana Devara, the Bishop of New England Conference of United Methodist Church, I bring greetings to you and a deep, deep appreciation for your faithfulness and witness that you together have been sharing with Brookline and Greater Boston and to the ends of the earth. So today is a Pentecost, and you didn't hear the traditional Pentecost story. The Pentecost is all about Holy Spirit coming upon us. Jesus even had his own Pentecost, some before. He even said, Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Isn't it? But if the Pentecost is about receiving the coming down of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the very God, there can be a dispute or debate about when the real Pentecost originally happened. Because if you think about it, most people who were at that Mark's attic to receive the Holy Spirit on the Pentecost Day, many of them actually already received the same Spirit some 40 days ago. If you remember the story of what happened after resurrection according to the Gospel of John, the risen Christ shows up through the locked doors where his disciples and friends were in terror, in fear, in sense of defeat. And he does very strange thing. As soon as he shows up, he breathes on them. He says, peace be with you. And then he says, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. That's what happened the day after resurrection. So if the Pentecost is about receiving the Holy Spirit, the Pentecost already happened to these disciples, and they didn't know about it. No wonder why they were puzzled about this. So what was the power of Holy Spirit coming down as Jesus breathed on them? Jesus gave the power to forgive. If you believe, if you think that the God can give you the one specific power to you as an individual and to you as a congregation or to you as a federal church or a Methodist church, if God can give you the one power, would you want that power to be the power to forgive? I would not. I want to walk on water. (laughs) Then I'll start a new denomination. Or what about turning, you know, robes and fishes? Then I can be a Nobel Prize winner, eliminate world hunger, 
What about healing all the sick? What about somehow can gather thousands of people and preach like two minutes and change their lives? Power to forgive? After all those things, no wonder disciples didn't really get what the receiving of the Holy Spirit really meant. That's why in today's story, Book of Acts, Ascension story, 40 days later, Jesus having sort of like a same conversation and trying to explain to them what the receiving of the Holy Spirit, what the indwelling of the Spirit of God in each one's heart and lives and in this world really means. This is the last conversation the risen Christ and the followers had. This is a transitional period. The people who follow Jesus are now transitioning into what? The people who are supposed to carry on the Jesus life and ministry. The church. From followers to the story of church. And here Jesus once again promises the coming of the Holy Spirit. You will receive the Holy Spirit, he proclaims. And these disciples who already received the Spirit of Jesus by breathing respond to this oxymoron answer to Jesus' promise of Holy Spirit. He said, after hearing that promise, their response is what? Lord, are you, are you going to restore the glory of Israel, the kingdom of Israel? To that, Jesus said what? No, you will receive the power, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus' followers saying, Lord, are you going to do something? Are you? Jesus saying, no, 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 not me. You, 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 you will do something. A lot of yous flying around back and forth. Sounds like church meeting, right? <laughs> See the what God has done by the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the promise of the Holy Spirit. Pouring out of the Holy Spirit. That God has changed our faith from expecting God to do something for us to being empowered and inspired by God to do something with and for God. That's at the heart of Christian faith. That's why our worship is not just adoration. Our worship is what we do after leave this place in response to that spirit. So this power that Jesus promised was what? Disciples wanted the power to restore the kingdom of Israel, restore the independence of Israel as a nation, restore the political and economic and social power. They wanted to control and dominate. And Jesus said, yes, you will receive the power, and this power will empower you, enable you to do what? Witness. Isn't that interesting? Have you ever felt that 
being able to witness is a, such an enormous, powerful act that you needed God to give you something? Jesus didn't say, you will receive the power and you will change Jerusalem. You will change there, Samaria, into the ends of the earth. He didn't say, you will receive the power and you will change the whole world and solve all the problems. He says simply, you will be my witness. It's interesting because in order for you to be a witness, first of all, something must happen beforehand, which is out of your power, right? You can only witness to something somebody else has done or said that you have heard or seen or witnessed, right? Feel like you're in the court? If you're trying to witness to something that you have not heard, you have not seen, you have not experienced, and generate out of your own narrative, there is a term for it called, what? Perjury. We have some people in the White House trying to do that. See, the power to witness is a power to reflect, respond. It's power to respond to something already happened. I learned English as a Korean. So I used the Korean book to learn English. Okay, I came from Korea 27 years ago. And I come to appreciate the English as a language. Some of the vocabulary is just fascinating. And one of those vocabulary is responsibility. I love responsibility. Not as responsibility, but as a word. Because whoever came up with this word, whatever, hundred, hundred years ago in, in origin, must have been a deeply spiritual person. Because responsibility is a combination of two words. What? It's a response ability. It's ability to respond. Have you ever thought that your responsibility is your God-given ability? Because you are all here because you confess, you believe that all gifts, all ability comes from God. You're going to sing it, all blessings flow, right? So responsibility is a gift from God to you as an ability to respond, to respond to the reading, leading of the Holy Spirit, to the way of Christ, way of love and hope, a healing, peace, and justice. And that's what Holy Spirit does to us. That's what God has Onto us. That's what reason Christ has breathed onto his disciples. That's the promise of the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus is saying, You will forgive, you will be my witness. In the creation story, you all know it God creates human beings out of the dirt and breathe onto their nostrils. The breath of God, the Ruach of God, the Spirit of God, window of God, you name it, 
God's breath is the origin of all the Spirit of God. The human beings are the dirt filled with God's breath, God's with the Holy Spirit. You are all good-looking dirt this morning, filled with the Holy Spirit. And these humans, Adam and Eve, when they violated their covenant with God, when they went away from relationship with God by taking up that forbidden fruit, what was the first sign of brokenness? What do you call it? Fall. Original sin? Somebody said God's blessing is more original than sin. The first sign of brokenness in creation story by Adam and Eve is this. So they took up on that fruit, and then suddenly their eyes opened, and the first thing they realized was what? They were naked. Which all along they were naked, but they started to feel shameful about themselves. They said, this is not right. What God has created in me as who I am is not right somehow. That's one of the signs of brokenness, that we don't accept and appreciate the way God has created each of us uniquely, sacred and beloved. And then they hid themselves. And that afternoon, God shows up in the Garden of Eden, just like every afternoon, to have an afternoon tea, probably, to walk in the garden. Remember, our God is the one who wants to take a walk with us. Not sit on the throne somewhere far away and try to dictate us. So God shows up and God couldn't find Adam and Eve just like every other day. So God has to look for them and they hid themselves. What does that mean? They were afraid to the respond Respond to the call and the vegetation of God. They separated themselves. They failed to respond to the call of God. And then when they were finally found, and what God was trying to tell the truth, what was their response? Adam said, just like all good, you know, husband says, what do I do? I don't have any power. I just did what she asked me to do. Not me, her. And Eve said, not me. That little, you know, squirmy things called servant. See, the condition of fall is what? Not being responsible to the truth. Not responding to the truth of who I am, what I have done, and what God might do. The power of Pentecost is power of responsibility. The spirit that has been poured out 2,000 years ago and still today is the spirit of responsibility. It is the ability to respond to evil with good, to fear with love, to despair with hope, to hatred with forgiveness, to suffering with compassion, to violence with peace, to oppression with justice, and to death, and death-dealing powers and principalities, to life everlasting. 
That ability is in you. That's what you are celebrating today. Because good news is that all are created, instilled and inspired and conspired with the Spirit of God. Because God created you with that breath, that Spirit. Reason Christ has already breathed on each of us as a people of resurrection. And the promise of the Holy Spirit is still with us. It is not just super Christians. Those whose names are in the Bible, on the history books, or our theology books, who have this power. The church, the very church, the history of 2,000-year-old church, 50-year history of this church, is the fruit of all the co-workers of God who dare to use their responsibility. Wherever and whenever they are nudged by the leading of the Holy Spirit, to expand the love of God a little deeper and love of all people a little wider. The Spirit of God, the gift of responsibility, makes us, just like your title, co-workers with God and for God's service. And if you think about it, all heroes of our faith, including the Methodists, were able to be such witnesses only because there were always enough nameless, silent, yet faithful co-workers of God who responded to the leading of the Holy Spirit that showed up maybe among those leaders. I was uh, at the Boston Pride yesterday with the ecumenical group. We had a float. We had a great decoration. We have you know unheard number of you know, people showed up. Two bishops from Ecuador Church. And it was a long walk. <laughs> it was an exciting walk all through those hour and a half. But just imagine we were in the you know route because we had the you know the uh, registered. Just imagine that no one lined up on the side road for those miles. Cheering us, giving us hands, giving us water, giving us smile. I think a lot of people have a muscle ache this morning in their faith. Just imagine those nameless people. There's one, one senior lady on a motorized, you know, the wheelchair, was in the, right in the middle of the road, cheering every single person who were marching for two and a half hours. Just imagine those people not responding to this, what kind of parade would have been? What message would have been sent to our LGBTQIA brothers and siblings? Tax Sample is a uh, professor of sociology and ethics at St. Paul's uh, Seminary in Kansas. He is one of the most influential Methodist theologians, at least in place to me. He is a graduate of Boston University School of, uh, School of Theology in the 60s. He actually worked for the Mass Council of Churches in the 1960s as a social justice coordinator. He organized the Math, uh, Massachusetts delegation to join the Martin Luther King Jr. the walk to Selma. He is from Brookhaven, Mississippi. I heard directly from him in one of the gatherings. He grew up in a deep south in a Methodist church. 
In that church, when he was a fifth grade, there was a Sunday school teacher called Mr. Argon. He called him Mr. Argon. He was the most respected person in the Brookhaven, owner of the largest business. So proper. To these young boys, and he had a boys' class, fifth grade, to these young boys, he was God. And he would not miss a single Sunday to teach Sunday school. And every fourth Sunday, without exception, he would teach these fifth grade boys that how God made white folks special, little special than the others. And that why it is these boys' responsibility to protect white women from ever-growing diversity. Tex thought it was word of God. And in that little church, there was Miss Hattie. She, he called him Miss Hattie. Who just returned from, be, uh, from being a missionary to Japan and Korea for over 30 years. Retired to be with her sister. She attended the church. She knew what's going on in the Sunday school. But she never directly challenged Mr. Argon. Because no one would have given ear to her. But Tex said, whenever we heard those messages from Mr. Argon, somehow Miss Hattie somehow knew and invited us almost every week to her home, where she would show all the artifacts from all over the world that she has been, especially from Asia. And how she taught that all the children that she met in Japan and in Korea are as special as all the children are. And then she would taught them, Jesus loved me, this I know, in Korean. And Tak Sempo, I think he was in his mid-70s at that time, we were doing an event. This 75-year-old boy, 60-some years later, singing... In Korean, Jesus loves me. Miss Hattie is not in any book. But she's the one who used the gift of responsibility to respond to the teachings and the power, the ways of powers and principalities and culture with a simple yet powerful spirit of love, of inclusion, of understanding, of diversity. I'm here as a, a representative of United Methodist Church, and you know, every four years you get to hear United Methodist Church in the news. That's when we gather at the General Conference. And we had a big meeting in February. I was one of the delegates there. And our hearts were broken for our global United Methodist Church. Uh, once again, failed uh, to be a denominationally, a fully inclusive church. And for that, let me offer you a sincere apology. Uh, global United Methodist Church is a global church. 40% of delegates come from outside U.S., where culture and theology is very different. It's our struggle. But it was even harsher. So a lot of people, including myself, felt like something very essential died on that day as a Methodist. 
or something stopped beating, sucking the life out of us. You know what happens when you stop breathing? If somebody stops breathing, what's the first thing that you need to do? Call 911, and then you start to do CPR, right? And the culmination of CPR is what? You have to breathe on them, isn't it? You have to breathe on them because they cannot inhale. It's all about breathing onto someone and praying and desperately waiting for that person to exhale. Have you seen enough movies? You know, people who just count out of water. And what a celebration. You know what? United Methodist Church as a denomination is in crisis. Part of our heart stopped beating. The heart of compassion and justice seemed to stop working. Our nation, this blessed country, some part of this country seems to be dying every day. Decency, civility, inclusion, diversity. Right now, they are threatening the people who give water to the migrants, who, ha- who give the transportation to the migrants. 30-year, 40-year sentences as a national security. We are in crisis. Life for justice, life for compassion seem to be sucked out of the air. But friends, believe the good news. Even when our heart and our limited and open shortcoming institutions fail to beat for justice and peace, the heart of God never fails to beat. That's the one heart that you can trust on. Never fail to breathe on us the breath of God, the spirit of compassion, justice, and peace. Every day. And waiting, waiting for you to have a one big exhale. I invite you to, if you don't mind, take up your hands and put in your mouth, right in front of you. Take a deep breath in. And then take a breath out as long and as much as you can. Breathe out as long and as deeply as you can. Let's do it again. Isn't that what does? That's what God does every moment you breathe. Every moment you breathe in, God's Spirit comes into you waiting to be exhaled. And somewhere in your breath is the spirit of Pentecost, the spirit of responsibility that God needs in this world for your own healing and for the justice in every corner of God's word. For that breath, for the amazing gift of responsibility, thanks be to God.